Hi, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan from Featherstone Nutrition. AKA The Feathers. And you're listening to Fuel for the Soul podcast. Why do we do this podcast? So we can teach all the listeners nutrition and hydration tactics to improve their performance. I don't feel like it's just for the listeners. I think I'm learning a lot. And for ourselves. And today I think I'm going to learn a hell of a lot. <laughs> Let's get into what we're talking about today. Speaking of that. So before we dive into our listener question, let's talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Thomas, what is Inside Tracker? Funny you should ask. Inside Tracker is an ultra personalized nutrition platform that uses blood work to create one of a kind, science backed action plan to help you reach your potential for better performance and a longer, healthier life. Yeah, so they were founded in 2009, and the Boston company first started working with professional athletes who wanted to see what their biomarkers, hormone, and mineral profiles look like during their training and how they could use nutrition and lifestyle to improve. Get this, they measure over 30, 30 biomarkers and recommend food and supplements to optimize things like your energy, cognition, endurance, heart health, and more. And... The really great news for you all is for a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off their entire store. Boom. Just go to insidetracker.com slash fuel. All right. This week's question comes from Kara, a runner and triathlete. She sent in her audio file, so let's go ahead and listen to it. Hey guys, this is Kara. I'm a runner and triathlete in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm loving this podcast. I'm learning so many things I didn't know I needed to know. I have a question for you today about menstruation. I feel like a lot of people don't always talk about this, but I think it's really important because it's something that us ladies deal with every month. Um, So my question for you is how can we use nutrition or alter our nutrition around that time of the month to really optimize our training and our performance? Um, For me, I definitely get a lot of symptoms like bloating, cramping. Um, I get some GI upset and mostly a lot of fatigue. I feel really sluggish and unmotivated. So I'm wondering how we can use nutrition to help that. Thank you. All right, Megan. Talk to us about all things cycle related. I mean, I think I thank you, Kara, for submitting this question, because I'm sure that you're not the only one out there that is wondering how to manage some of these side effects. So we know that, you know, 75% of athletes are experiencing some sort of unwanted negative side effect from their cycle each month. Um, you know, to Kara's point, a lot of it is the bloating, the GI, the fatigue, other things like headaches and cramping and back pain and all those types of things. And, you know, I think it's super important to track our cycle, right? So a lot of the apps now, whether it's Garmin or I'm assuming Coral's probably has the same thing, you know, we can track our cycle to really notice some of the changes that we feel and how that relates to our performance. So if you're not doing that already, like first and foremost, I recommend people start doing that to really start to understand, like, what are some of the symptoms that each of us experience? Because it's going to be different, you know, woman to woman, um, you know, and maybe even, you know, between between the different cycles. Um, but truthfully, before we kind of dial into the specifics that Kara's asking about, we do obviously want to take that step back, right. And make sure that we're taking, you know, that, that bird's eye view of our nutrition and really making sure that our nutrition as a whole 
is dialed in. And because a lot of the principles we're going to talk about today to help with these things are normal nutrition, you know, principles and making sure that we're fueling enough and hydrating enough. So, you know, let's make sure that we're doing that on the regular eating enough. We'll talk about that too. Um, and then we can kind of start to dial in the little things to see if we can get some advantage and help kind of manage some of these symptoms. Believe it or not, I have a question <laughs> already. Um, I am Thomas. I don't get a period. This is my first time calling in. No, um, <laughs> we, I am curious about the stress that goes along with this because that's another factor that plays into this. I know from living with a woman that uh, when she's getting ready for a race and she knows her cycle, she's already stressed out about when that cycle is going to hit. Outside of the actual period itself and all the changes that has to physically, the stress of racing and, and when the cycle is going to hit, that's got to be another factor that plays into training and, and nutrition and all that stuff, doesn't it? Sleep. I don't know where that would fit in. Absolutely. I mean, stress is stress, right? So all of those things that you're talking about all impact stress. And that's one really interesting thing that we have found about female cycles is we know that any type of stress can alter the length of that cycle. So anywhere between like 21 days and 40 days for a natural cycle is considered normal and healthy. So there is a huge variation there, right? But most females find that they're usually around like a one or two to three day variable within there, right? So it's like always like 27, 28 days, something like that. But what we notice is when there is too much stress in our life, whether it's stressing about a race, whether it's stress from training, life stress, not eating enough is a stressor, right? All of those things can start to shift the length of our cycle. So it can get shorter, it can get longer. So those are the types of things that we want to notice. And, you know, honestly, to your point, Thomas, it's really hard for someone with a natural cycle to be like, I, I know where I'm going to be on race day, right? I know exactly what day that's going to be because those stressors can flex that a little bit. And that's normal. That is very normal. Like female athletes are putting so much stress on their bodies that it's going to fluctuate a little bit. So it can be a little bit nerve wracking, like trying to figure out like, where is it going to land, you know, up into that. So I think knowing how our body responds and what we can do to mitigate some of those symptoms can help us feel a little bit more in control of that uncontrollable. Back to your um, initial statement about just like understanding that we're, we're fueling properly like daily, that it isn't just like once we hit the cycle. So you're saying if we are fueling properly and to the best of our abilities every single day, will our cycle, we won't feel as many, um, negative symptoms. Yeah. Like that, like symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good, a good point. So I think this opens up a beginning discussion on, you know, energy availability. So we can do this for men and for females. So what it does is it takes a look at how much energy we're consuming, right. From food calories, and it subtracts the energy that we're expending from running or any sort of activity. And it gives us that energy availability that's left. So if that's too low, what ends up happening both for men and women, but women are more sensitive to that low energy availability. Like guys can get away with being dumb for longer than females, <laughs> like females hormones start to <laughs> shocking, right? No. <laughs> females hormones are going to start to tank with that low energy availability. And there's phenomenal research to show that some of those symptoms, those PMS symptoms often are greater when that energy availability is low. So eventually with too low of energy availability in the long term. It basically our body's like, whoa, you're not feeding me enough. So I'm going to conserve, conserve, conserve. What type of bodily functions 
don't matter anymore. Fertility is the first one to go, right? So hormones are going to tank, our period's going to stop. But before that, sometimes we do notice that when we're not eating enough, those PMS symptoms, the bloating, the cramps, the irritability, the fatigue are actually worse, right? So making sure that we're eating enough can, you know, help with those, the stressors of the hormones changing, especially in that second half of the cycle, when hormones really start to peak, that's usually when we all feel more symptoms. Um, you know, we're going to be able to be a little more resilient through that and not be as affected by those symptoms if we're eating enough. So I know we're taking a holistic view and looking at this from a general nutrition going in, but is there something that you can do while you're hitting that? Uh, what do you call it? When like, you're on your cycle, when you have your period? Yes, that's the word. Um, what do you call it? I, you know, I don't know all the, all the vernacular. <laughs> the lingo. <laughs> um, what, what can you do during that time to alleviate, like, like if you, you're going to get ready for that race and you feel all bloaty and stuff like that, like how do you, what are some of the things that you can do nutrition-wise or or one of the biggest things we want to keep in mind is like when you were younger, you probably heard like, oh, you know, when you're bloated, don't eat too much salt, right? Don't eat too much sodium. That was still something you hear a lot out there. Like, oh, if you're bloated, cut back on your sodium. But when we actually take a look at female runners, it's the exact opposite. So if we're cutting back on sodium, we're probably actually screwing ourselves because what ends up happening in that second half of our cycle, you know, both progesterone and estrogen, the two, you know, female dominant hormones really start to skyrocket. And then when our period starts, they drop very dramatically. So as those hormones are climbing, what ends up happening is our blood volume decreases. So the actual amount of like fluid in our, our veins, right. Decreases, but the bloating, the fluid moves to our tissues. So we have too much fluid, like in our tissues, that's what makes us feel so bloated and crummy. But from a performance standpoint, if we don't have the volume of blood right in there, what ends up happening is we can't cool ourselves as well. Exercise feels harder. Um, our perceived exertion is through the roof. Our heart rate increases all because that plasma volume is about like 10% less, right? So everybody who's listened to our hydration episode knows that we can expand our plasma volume by taking in more salt, more sodium with more fluid. So it's like in order to not feel so crummy during a workout or trying to exercise in the heat in that very end of our cycle, most of us would call it like the PMS time, right? Like the five to seven days before our cycle starts. If we actually push more salt and more fluid during that time, we can expand that plasma volume so that hopefully exercise doesn't feel as hard. Um, I don't know about you, Megan, but like, I feel like a sissy when I'm trying to do a workout in those like five to seven days, like everything feels so hard. Paces feel hard. My heart feels like it's beating out of my chest. Like workouts are crummy during that time. Right. So like, if we take that hyperhydration, you know, standpoint, it can help a little bit, right. Kind of mitigate some of those feelings. You nodded your head a lot uh, through a lot of that. We, is that yeah, no, it's it's all relatable. It's exactly how I feel during during those phases. But so I'm really curious about the phases. Like, so we have the time during your cycle, then we have right before and right after. And what are like what are the things we can be doing within those um, time frames? Well, that's a good question. So most of us are probably familiar with this, but I don't know. I mean, when I was younger, I wasn't paying attention to all these parts of my cycle. Yeah. Right. So like taking a step back, there's really like three phases, right? So there's the 
from the day your period starts, that's called our follicular phase, usually lasts about 14 days. Then we have ovulation, which is like 14, 15, 16 days. And then we have the luteal phase, right? So it's kind of split into those three pieces. So kind of backing up a little bit, that first phase, that, that first 14 days, that's where our performance is usually the best, right? When we're on our period. So that's where those hormones tank and that starts. So that brings up a good question, right? Because that first couple of days we have symptoms that are kind of making it hard yeah. to work out. Right. But like once some of those symptoms are gone and those hormones are low, um, like that's where our performance is the best. Right. Um, so I always tell people like, don't be scared if you're like in the middle or the tail end of your cycle during a race. I mean, my sub three marathon was day two of my cycle. Like I was petrified, like, Holy crap. Like, well, how's this going to go? But honestly, my performance was fantastic. My perceived exertion was lower. Like exactly what the research shows is that that's when you should be able to perform your finest. Wow. So that's an interesting take. Like you should be hoping for it <laughs> rather than, uh, <laughs> afraid of it. But I also found, um, I do these apply to everyone across the board? Because when we were working together and I was doing daily weigh-ins and specifically around my cycle, you were like, expect to gain a couple pounds right before it. And then it'll drop as soon as you get it. And for me, I held on to the weight until the day after my period. And then it dropped significantly every single month. Right. That's right. I remember that. So yeah, it is different for everybody. And for people who are tracking their weight with me, um, we do try to find that like sweet spot, that one day of the month that is more accurate from a weight perspective. Cause as you, any female knows the fluid fluctuations throughout the month are insane. Like if you look at the research, you can hang on from anywhere to like two to seven pounds of fluid at the end of your cycle. Like that's not fat mass. Right. And for somebody who's like trying to get a gauge on what is my weight right now, that can really mess with you mentally. Right. So if we're trying to figure it out. Like usually day six, seven, eight of the cycle is the most, um, accurate actual body composition and weight. But so yeah. I'm wondering if some of those symptoms would change or should I be expecting the, the same symptoms for those three buckets that we just talked about? So for your own body, you're probably going to experience them fairly similarly. If variables are consistent, right? If there's not too much stress, if we are eating enough, right. all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, to your point, there are the symptoms of headaches, bloating, cramping, you know, when, when our period is actually happening, you know, to kind of go back to, to Kara's question too, about GI issues. So our body kicks out all of these hormones to contract, right? Our uterus is a, is a smooth muscle, just like our GI tract, just like, you know, other things in our body. So it's, it's, trying to shed the lining in there. Right. So there are things produced prostaglandins that are, you know, contracting our uterus. That's what causes cramps. So they're going to contract everything around that too. Right. Which is around there, our colon. <laughs> so it's going to have be more, you know, unpredictable. And we're going to have more cramping that can affect like that urgent need, like, holy crap, is there a porta potty near me? You know? And I think any female can, can relate to that. Like when you're on your period, like forget it, you know, the GI issues are probably a given if you're trying to work out at a higher intensity. Um, so kind of to help with that is being super careful. If there's things that upset your stomach, if eating too much fiber doesn't work for you, like let's, and we've got a workout that is landing, you know, day one of our cycle, we are very careful about fiber. You know, we adjust our diet a little bit to try to make it easier to, to deal with some of that extra, um, contracting of that, that part of our, you know, when you say you track. adjust the diet, are you going for foods with less fiber and trying more digestible? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's less roughage in there to half your body's trying to get rid of, mm-hmm. right? What about temperature? Does that play a factor into all of this? It does. So our body temperature rises as those hormones climb at the end of our cycle. So our body temperature rises a pretty decent amount. So what that means is we're hotter, right? We have a harder time cooling ourselves. And you would think like, oh, my body temperature is higher. So I'm going to sweat sooner and cool myself down. But that's not what the research is showing. The research is showing it's actually taking us longer to start to sweat. Yet our body temperature is climbing. So we can't regulate that body temperature and that cooling quite as well when those hormones are really high at the end. So that's another reason those workouts feel hard when, when they land, you know, those last couple of days in our cycle before our period starts. So there is there is there a like perfect timing of like when you should do your workouts? I mean, obviously races are when they are, and it's just whatever happens happens. Yeah. So um, exactly, I guess it's just to know that it's okay to do workouts and race on your cycle before and after. Yeah. But there are things that we can maybe do nutritionally to just help well, our performance. Absolutely, I know you guys are both people that are going to train through anything. Like you guys, like rain. <laughs> Sleet, ice, snow, periods, whatever's going on, you're going to train through it. Do, is is there a lot of people that like periods would knock them out of training altogether? Yeah, there are. Um, and I agree with you. I think some of us are just a little more bullheaded, I guess is a good way. <laughs> but it, maybe it's not smart to try to push through a workout at that point. But some people are going to do it, you know, to your point. Um, but no, I mean, I have worked with a couple elite athletes that are like, no, I'm not doing a workout these next two days. You know, they know their bodies. They know what they can push through. And, you know, I think, again, it's a personal decision, you know, the way you want to work with that. Um and I think starting to notice and pay attention to this is huge, right? So to your kind of earlier question, Thomas, when would the best time for a workout be? Truthfully, it's probably day like four to 12 of your cycle, right? That's probably when you're going to crush workouts and feel the best and feel the strongest. I know when I was racing an 8k recently, I had like a tune-up workout for it, like in that time. And I felt amazing. I crushed it. And then I was looking at it and I'm like, ah, but that race is going to fall right (laughs) when my performance is going to suck. Right. Um, But again, there's to Meg's point, like there's nothing you can do about it. And I went out and I ran the race and I still ran a PR and Maybe it was a little harder than it needed to be, but I think we can't underestimate how powerful our mind is. And if we've convinced ourselves, like, I can't do it this day, or if we say we can't work out these certain days, it's going to feel even harder. So I think we need to keep an open mind, like anything's possible, right? But we need to be, give ourselves some grace that maybe it's going to feel a little harder, but let's make sure we lower our fiber. We increase our fluid. We increase our sodium. We wear a baggy shirt if we feel more comfortable because we're bloated, get comfortable, right? Like whatever it takes to feel comfortable at that race, because put on your mascara, if that makes you feel confident, whatever it is, right? Um, And get in a good headspace for it. I was doing some little research just specifically around this episode we were recording, and they were talking about how where I was in my cycle that I would probably be experiencing poor sleep. Mm. And Um, he brought that up. And all week I had horrible sleep because I was like, oh, this is, this is what's going to happen. And I'm convinced it's simply because of that. <laughs> right. Cause it was in your head. Yeah. I, I, you know, we are mental. Think of how much mental running training, all of that is. So I agree with you a hundred percent. Like sometimes I think too much data and too much tracking can get to us. You know, I think that's a perfect example, but you know, two, there is some sleep disruption 
at the end of our cycle, right? Like PMS, like right before our period starts. So, you know, back to Kara's question about, you know, fatigue, what should I do? Oftentimes there is poor sleep for a couple of nights when our, when our body temperature does skyrocket. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I always wake up like sweaty in the morning, the couple of days before my period starts. And I'm like, am I going through me- like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe that's not normal. If there's like an OB listening to this, call me, please let me know. That's not normal. But, um, so, you know, I think there is something going on that you feel fatigued. Right. And a lot of it is probably that we're not sleeping as well. So I get back to kind of like sleep hygiene, like what can we do to help ourselves get better sleep? Maybe we can plan on going to bed a little bit earlier and maybe not waking up so early on those nights so that even if sleep's poor, maybe we're getting a little more right. If the quality isn't there. Um, but most of the time, a lot of that fatigue is going to be related to the changes in sleep patterns. So, you know, trying to make sure that, <laughs> but not over-focusing on it, Megan, <laughs> get enough sleep. Yeah. yeah. Is, you know, we, we talk about also, um, supplements and we talk about what's going on and some of the stuff that you're losing, uh, while you're going through your period, my guess is the reason why a lot of women need iron as a supplement is because of the period. I think it's probably more prevalent for women to be, and this is, you can tell me you're the nutritionist, but I'm guessing that it's more prevalent for women to be iron deficient than men. I'm going off our household where my inside tracker told me that I was okay on iron and Megan was not, and we eat pretty much the same diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is exactly why women are lower, right? In iron ferritin is more likely to tank in females because we are losing every month. And it was interesting because somebody had asked a question when I put, you know, Hey, Instagram, what questions yeah. do you want us to talk about? They were asking about iron specifically. So I remember when I was in grad school, I took a phenomenal sports nutrition class up at Case Western Reserve up here in Cleveland. Um, my teacher was amazing. And one of the topics we had to research was exactly that. And at the time they were doing a lot of research on having females supplement iron just when they were on their cycle, like kind of to remind yourself like, Hey, take this iron supplement for these five days. Right. So I was looking up that research again, cause you know, that was like 16 years ago. Um, and it looks like they've done some head to head stuff now where they've had people supplement like once a week versus just during their period. And they're both work. Right. So I think a lot of female runners, right. Those that those studies weren't on runners. I think a lot of female runners are already supplementing iron. So maybe that's not applicable, but if you're not supplementing, like there's some really good research that maybe we should be during our cycle. Um, not that there's anything magical about taking it those days. I think sometimes it's just easy to remember like, Oh, here are the five days I need to take it, you know, um, to kind of help keep your, your iron stores where they need to be when you are losing more. Okay. So I think we should dive into more of these listener questions because you got a ton. Oh my God. So many. Thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is there a way to reduce the junk food cravings during PMS? This is a good one. A lot of people have significant cravings. And honestly, no one's going to be shocked to hear me say this. A lot of it goes back to if we're on over restricting what we're eating, right? If we're under fueling or under eating, those cravings are going to be even worse. So making sure we're eating enough, we're not depriving ourselves of things is going to be the first thing. But then the second thing, which relates to a couple other questions people 
came in with, with, I'm starving before my period starts. Why am I so hungry? So with that increase in body temperature and with the increase in hormones, we our resting metabolic rate. So our quote unquote metabolism, like how many calories we're burning at rest actually increases like 10 to 15% during that time. So if you do that math, that's like hundreds of calories. That's like half a meal or a very large snack that our body needs. So if we're not listening to our hunger during that time and eating a little extra, we're missing the boat and probably having even more cravings. So I think, you know, a piece of it is understanding like our bodies actually need more energy. So lean into that, eat a little more and see if that helps decrease the cravings over time. How do you train if you're irregular and have those symptoms every other week? Oof. Right. Doesn't that sound wretched? Yeah. It's awful. So I, I hear this. So again, back to the stress comment, right? Like if our body is overly stressed, we're going to have changes in the duration of our cycle. So from my understanding, I'm not a gynecologist, right? That's not my specialty, but from my understanding, it's okay if we skip a month or if it changes in duration a little bit month to month, but it's when we're missing like more than three in a month, or we're getting it in less than 21 days for multiple weeks in a row. That's a red flag, right? Something's not right here. Um, obviously my mind goes to the fueling piece that probably we're not eating enough to support our training and our body is just overly stressed. Um, so really taking a step back and looking at why is my cycle irregular? How long has it been going on? Am I eating enough? And, you know, have I talked to my gynecologist about this? You know, is there something we need to change? Because what we find is if we're consistently in that low energy availability and we have missing cycles, we have really short cycles, we have really long cycles, um, bone density decreases. We're at an increased risk of stress fracture. Um, you know, our iron stores are more likely to plummet, um, fatigue, right. Overtraining syndrome, um, irritability, mood changes, depression, anxiety, all those type of things are just through the roof. Right. So if your cycle is short is missing, we absolutely need to get, you know, a provider on board to figure that out and help with that. Um, you know, from that standpoint, I have a question again, <laughs> um, <laughs> Is there anything you can do, like if you are really irregular, is there anything you can do on a nutrition or schedule or anything to help to move you to more of a regular uh, period? Yeah. So I think taking a step back and looking at your nutrition or, you know, getting some help with that is first. But then the second thing too, is some people are really confused because they're like, I don't get it. My weight I'm, I'm trying to lose weight or I'm overweight or I'm not happy with my weight and I don't have a cycle. So what the heck is going on? So they've done some research where they found like too large of an energy deficit throughout the day, even if we're eating enough in the total day can cause crazy alterations to our cycle. So if somebody is under fueling all day and then eating a ton at night, that actually isn't good for our cycle either. So taking a look at kind of the frequency with which someone's eating and making sure they're eating enough around training, right. That they're not doing fasted training. That's terrible for our hormones as females guys can get away with it. Girls cannot. Um, and then making sure we're doing the recovery nutrition and really padding that exercise with enough nutrition. We might be able to get that cycle to come back. Um, you know, it was just some redistribution of how we're eating from a timing perspective throughout the day. So, Birth control is on here, and someone said that I'm told I need it to maintain bone health, which I've never heard of that before. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what HX stress fractures means. 
history of stress fractures. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of people like, Hey, I'm on birth control. Can we talk about that? Right. So obviously everything we've talked about so far today is for someone with a natural cycle that their hormones are fluctuating naturally, right? Birth control is like a set amount of hormones so that our body can't fluctuate hormones so that it can't produce an egg to get pregnant. Right. So it's kind of like blunting our normal hormonal response and kind of covering that up with a synthetic hormone and a fixed dose the entire month until you take the sugar pills and then you get a period and then it's a fixed dose again. So there's some research on birth control and athletes. The problem is there's so many types of birth control, right? There's progesterone only there's progesterone and estrogen. There's synthetic things. There's different doses. So it's kind of hard to really take a look at all that kind of stuff. Um, but there was one really good study that looked at female Olympians, like, so elite, you know, athletes, obviously. And it was comparing people who took birth control to people who don't. And one of the knocks on birth control for athletes is that it promotes inflammation that it, you know, people aren't recovering as well when they're taking synthetic hormones. Um, so this particular study showed exactly that it showed that people have like a higher inflammatory markers and they're not recovering as quickly when they take birth control. Um, so like when you really look at, there's some people out there that are very anti birth control for athletes. That's usually the research that they cite. But I think again, you know, looking at the bigger picture, obviously the pros of birth control is you are in control of your fertility. <laughs> like that's huge for so many females that I don't think we can be like, Oh, but it might increase in inflammation a little bit. Like, I think that's a personal decision and it, it, that's obviously much better than having children when you don't want them or, you know, not having control over that. So I think, um, yeah, there might be a little bit of a downside to it, but at the same time, the upside for the people who are choosing to take it is probably way outweighs that. Yeah, Childbirth would probably get in the way of a race, <laughs> right? If, if it's on the same day, <laughs> I don't know. So I can't run today. And the, the hormones not fluctuating is pretty nice. I mean, that seems, I know it's not natural, People love but it. it's not having symptoms sounds good. Right. And some people feel fantastic taking birth control and that's why they stay on it. Right. I was a crazy person. Like, forget it. Like I don't get along with it at all. Like, yeah, but it's just a personal thing. Yeah. Okay. So I think we already answered this one, but someone said, should I eat more right before my period? Turns out mm -hmm. you should yeah, a little bit, absolutely. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty 100%. much with, with feathers, it's always eat more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're on to me. Yeah. <laughs> get some shirts made yeah. eat more i mean it, it it with with a caveat that eat healthy macros more right and eat smarter yeah. right like i think we're all we've all experienced just doing dumb stuff with our nutrition and it doesn't end well yeah you mentioned omega-3s earlier for supplements for pms what else can we be taking to reduce our symptoms so there's been some research that looks at, you know, obviously what's going on during that time, which is an increase in inflammation. Um, so those omega-3s are anti-inflammatory, so it can help decrease some of that inflammation that we're feeling to help with the bloating, to help with, you know, the fluid retention, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that can help. There's also some research magnesium might help. I mean, truthfully, 
I would say at least 50% of the female athletes coming to me have been told to take magnesium from someone already. Right. So if you're already taking it, like it's probably arguable if it would help. Cause a lot of the research in this is you would take these supplements like five to seven days before your period starts, like the omega three and the magnesium, but a lot of athletes are already taking both of those. Um, so I don't know if it would help like taking it on top of that. I take magnesium, um, but I can't remember why. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people take it for sleep. Like they'll take it before they go to bed for sleep. I realize I should be taking it before sleep. A lot of people take it for that. Maybe that's why I'm falling asleep during the day. (laughs) Take it at night. All right, I'll switch that. No, it's not like melatonin. It's not like it's going to kick you under your butt when you take it. Yeah. Um, And then some people will take like some zinc or a baby aspirin or something like that. But um, I mean, I'm not. I think there's a lot of other things we can do first before we start playing with that. I really think a lot of people feel bloated when they're PMSing. So they instinctively restrict fluid. Like I feel gross. I feel bloated. I don't want to drink. Right. Sometimes you just feel ugh during that time. So I think a lot of our symptoms with training are actually from that fluid shift from the, that extra fluid in the tissues and not enough in our plasma. And then we're not drinking enough. So then we're dehydrated and then we're hot. We're sweating at night. Like we just talked about, we're sweating more on workouts. And I think, you know, a lot of those symptoms can be attributed to dehydration. So, you know, to go back and listen to episode one on the hydration to get more tips for that. But, um, I think that would probably be in my opinion, the biggest bang for our buck to help those five to seven days before our period starts. Okay. Awesome. So if we were going to sort of do a little recap and answer Kara's question in like a few sentences, it's to stay hydrated, to make sure you're eating enough. And is there anything else we should be doing? It, the changing it. You shouldn't be eating high fiber stuff. You should be eating stuff that's easier to digest. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like knowing your body, like starting to pay attention without obsessing, right? But starting to pay attention to how does my body respond? What, how do I feel my best? What do I need to do differently? Um, and just kind of understanding that piece. And then also, as you notice, like I felt this way during this time so that when a race does land on a certain day, you have that, you know, mental sanity to go back to, to be like, all right, yeah, that was a little harder, but I was okay. You know, and, and giving ourselves that confidence and that mental boost that like, I've been here before I've done this. I know how this feels and I'm going to be fine on race day. Um, and keeping that data, right. Or even going back and comparing like, all right, this workout in your app landed on this day on my cycle. And then comparing that if you need to, to race day, just to give yourself that extra confidence that like, I'm going to be okay. All right, guys, jumping in here to remind you about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. So if you're listening before, you know already, they measure over 30 biomarkers and recommend food supplements to optimize things like energy, cognition, endurance, heart health, and more. And for a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash fuel. Do it. I have a question for Feathers this week. Okay, so... I ran a lot of miles last week, last month during the grit challenge, and it kind of freed me up to be more easy to, to pick foods and to eat and to just drink whatever I wanted, not drink whatever I wanted, but like eat. So I ate a lot more calories and I didn't really worry about stuff as much. And I felt pretty good. You know, I wake up in the morning and be like, yeah, this, this, this weight looks right. I didn't get on the scale. I just looked and said, this looks right. (laughs) But I can't run 300 miles every month so and, and stay healthy. So now I'm in a thing where I still have the appetite I had 
when I was running the, those miles, but I'm, I've scaled back my mileage now that I'm not uh, doing grit. But yeah, I'm still, I want to eat everything. I have found this to be something across the board with runners is that our appetite from mileage change is delayed. So when we pick up mileage, people often don't feel an increase in appetite for like a week. So when we decrease mileage, which you're on the opposite end of that is a lot of times our appetite doesn't come down for like five to seven days with the mileage. So it's like being patient. And that's just another reason to remember our body is doing a lot of work recovering. That's why your appetite's up. It's not like you're still a metabolic furnace over there. You need the fuel. All right, so, so go ahead and eat. have to trust. Yeah, absolutely. Trust and listen to that and it'll come down. Your appetite will. Yeah. All right. Okay. We have to answer a listener follow-up question from our carb episode. So this is from Philip and he said, between runs, should we be differentiating what carbs we take in? I know that mid-run carb intake is typically some form of straight sugar, your drinks, scoos, gels, and chews, but what about carb intake that isn't right before or during a workout? For example, for an afternoon snack, six hours after a morning run, if I drink scratch, are those carbs processed different than a slice of bread or pretzels? Are there specific or groups of carb sources to steer toward or away from when not within hours of a workout? Do all carbs replenish glycogen stores in the same way? Thank you, Philip, for submitting this question because I get this a lot. So it's like people in their mind, there's good carbs, there's bad carbs. Like, should I really be eating sugar? You know, what do we think about it? So our body is going to turn any carbohydrate into sugar. Like that's the molecule that our body stores as glycogen. So to high level answer Philip's question is our body is going to utilize whatever type of carbohydrate we put into it the same at the end of the day. Now, some of the side effects, it's not the right word, but you know, some of the things that come along with choosing different types of carbs will change, right? So if we're taking something like scratch or Skittles or Swedish fish or a goo, or, or you know, something that is straight sugar, it's going to spike our blood sugar a little more quickly and then drop it a little more quickly, which is perfect during race because we can grab onto those carbs and use them quick, right? It's going to increase our blood sugar quickly. So we want to use those types of things to fuel a race, or if we're running out the door, and we're like, oh crap, I haven't eaten in a while. Like take something that's very quick to digest our simple carbohydrates. Um, but you know, Thomas is hungry all the time. So if Thomas is getting his carbs from candy and sports drinks, he's not going to stay full very long. So if we do things like the whole grains, so, you know, whole wheat pasta, whole wheat bread, um, you know, even things like beans and lentils that are more complex carbohydrate potatoes, things like that, they're going to keep us full a little bit longer. So those are probably the things we want to choose throughout the day to get our carbohydrates, um, to keep us full. But the cool thing is all of those types of carbs replenish our glycogen stores. So the slower digesting carbs obviously are going to more slowly replace our glycogen stores. But if we're running every 24 hours, we have time to replace those. So it's really not a huge deal. If you've got a kid doing two days or at a tournament with back to back to back to back soccer matches or something like that, they probably want that more quick digesting fast, you know, give them the fruit snacks, things like that between matches so that they can, or games. Are we playing tennis all of a sudden when I'm saying matches? Because <laughs> um, they could replace those glycogen stores more quickly if it is a more fast, you know, quick digesting carb. So end of the day, like all carbs have their place. Um, and you can't, 
go wrong. The only way you could go wrong is if you eat like a cup of black beans before a run and feel crummy because it's too much fiber. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's, it's more so a personal tolerance to what's right and wrong from a carbohydrate standpoint. You know, they're all going to get the job done. All right. I think that wraps up this week's episode. I learned a lot. I'm glad we talked about it because I feel like sometimes ladies, ladies cycles ladies period talk it's just not really talked about a lot so i think it's good that we discussed it a matter of fact most of the time i will tell you in running around i would say that if i was to take the stats of just my morning runs i see many more women out there running maybe guys prefer the afternoon i don't know what it is but when i'm out there running i would think that 80 percent of the world was female runners We run the world. Yeah. Pretty much. At least in my house. (laughs) I love it. But thanks for talking about it today, guys. I I totally agree with Megan. I think some people shy away from the conversation. It's silly. Um, You know, it has a huge impact on our performance and on our, you know, mental state and all that kind of stuff. So we might as well get it on the table and figure out how to manage it so it doesn't impact performance. Awesome. And if you have a question that you want answered about nutrition or anything that goes along with nutrition and running, you know what to do. You go to the Anchor app and there's a message button and you record a message for us and we play it and then we talk about it. It's pretty exciting. If you're too shy to use your voice or can't get your question out in the minute that they provide you to record that message, go ahead and email us. Meg, where do they email? You can email us at fuelforthesoulpodcast at gmail.com. Get that question in. Maybe you'll shed some light on something that will help my training. So that's a good reason for me to be here. All right. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Thanks, guys.